Check out their website and their menu at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. Best deep dish around, and thin crust is not bad either. On the show, we're going to be talking with PGA Tour caddy Paul Tesori about his new partner that he is now caring for. He was with Webb Simpson for 12 years. And we're also going to talk with Jerry Foltz, uh, formerly of the Golf Channel, now with the Live team about why he made the change from the Golf Channel to live and how he feels about it with all the media uh, that has been uh, going on between live and the PGA Tour. We're also going to be talking with Valdosta grad Kevin Durkin, who was on the PGA Tour, and we're going to talk about his experiences with that and uh, life after the PGA Tour. So let's go to Kevin right now. Kevin, thank you for being with us on the Back Nine Boys podcast. Hey, good morning, Rich. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, you and I have been talking after Valdosta. You, uh, What happened after that as far as the PGA Tour? Uh, I went down to Florida and tried some mini tours down there and then uh, quickly realized that uh, the quickest path was through Q school, which back in that day was the gauntlet of three stages and, uh, you know, quite a, quite a test of golf, uh, stamina and endurance. But, uh, I think they're changing it back to that nowadays, but yeah, I, uh, I went to my first one and, and, uh, missed by a shot at Bear Lakes to get the PGA tour card and ended up with full status on uh, web.com, I believe it was back then. So you're, you're talking a while ago, Rich, a long time ago. Um, <laughs> obviously, things have changed. The game has changed. <clears throat> there's, uh, there's a lot of great things going on. There's a lot of weird things going on. But, uh, yeah, I, I ended up going to five Q School finals, uh, mm. having to go through either, either the full gauntlet of first and second stage to get through those to get to finals or then uh, – you know, maybe maybe I was exempt a second. I had to get through that to get to finals. But uh, yeah, it was it was fun times and stressful times, all in one big sandwich. So, so tell us, you went through PGA uh, Tour school and uh, tough and uh, playing in college. Tell us about your first experience being on the PGA Tour after getting your card. Uh, so a little different, you know, the, I Monday a few of the tour events. Um, I went out to Tucson. We, my wife and I lived in Atlanta at the time and, and, uh, you know, the winter time is pretty atrocious there. So we ended up going out West and kind of hubbing there and trying to get into all the stuff out West for the West coast swing. And, uh, ended up Monday in Tucson, which is my first tour event, uh, that I ever played in. I, I think they used to play it at the Omni resort. I, I think it's a senior event now. But, uh, yeah, I ended up getting paired with a friend of mine 
uh, Bob Heinz, uh, who played out there for a long time. And ironically, uh, Jonathan Bird, who I'm friends with now mm-hmm. here on Diamonds. Um, I, I would tell you that, uh, you know, you can prepare yourself as much as you want for that first tee shot, but it is, uh, it, it, you, you can barely get the ball on the tee. Uh, that old phrase, duck on water. Uh, the legs are going a million miles an hour, but everything looks calm up top is definitely the case. Uh, but it's something you embrace, it's something you love, and you learn to you learn to uh, grow with it and learn how to handle it. And that's why some of those guys are so good at such pressure packed situations. And how was your time on the PGA Tour? I mean, you're not doing that now, but you know, as you went along, um, I think you told me that you had played once or you were in the lead and in, in an event where Tiger was in the field. Uh, we went out Monday, uh, Byron Nelson in Texas one year. Um, and I think it might've been his last event. Mr. Nelson was still alive. Uh, we all got to shake his hand coming off 18. I think he passed the next year. Uh, you know, obviously they, that event has changed quite a bit with different courses and stuff like that, but I think it's still a great venue for, for the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, you know, I, I, I would say that I was definitely not in a comfortable spot. Obviously Uh, I Monday and all of a sudden you find yourself uh, in a, in a position you've never been in before, but you know, I think I ended up shooting one over on the weekend and got lapped by 60 guys. So it, it, it's, you know, you have to keep going. You have to keep it down for pedal down for four days. I, I would, I played on that nationwide web.com for five or six years. Um, you, you're, you have to figure out how to get four days uh, and your off day. If there is one, uh, it can't be detrimental to the point where you slide so far back on the leaderboard. Um, and that's, that's really the difference in the guys that really figured out the combo. They, they're able to play four you know, really steady rounds and they'll, they'll drop a couple lower ones in there. Um, but they don't have that 73 or four, uh, in that four day window, uh, which is really hard to do Four four days pro-am, maybe a practice round in there. Uh, you're, you're playing a lot of golf and you're trying to do it three or four weeks in a row and then take a week or two off. So it's, uh, it's definitely something to be learned. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, you've got to be your best for four straight days when you, when you have to play those 72 whole events. And, uh, uh, you know, I've talked to others, uh, Matt Jones about, he said, I just couldn't put four good rounds together to stay on it. So when you got to that point in your career, uh, playing on the, the mini tours and the PGA tour, how hard was that decision for you to kind of say, you know, even though I played in college and even though I've played on the tours, I'm just not sure that I can do this anymore. Uh, it's definitely a hard decision. It's, you know, if you're passionate about it and it's something you love, uh, it's hard to walk away from it. But I think there comes, there comes a point where, uh, you know, are you performance based? And if you're not performing and you've, you've, you've exhausted every opportunity to make yourself better and you just can't seem to figure out that combo, um, I think it's, it's time to explore other things. I mean, there's, there's plenty of stuff out, you know, outside of golf or, or in the golf arena that, you know, can can fill that void uh i don't know that you'll ever fill that adrenaline rush that you get uh standing on the first tee or coming up 18 or whatever those 
whatever those things are that get you going, um, those are really hard to, to fill the void on. But, you know, I golf's a great game. Um, and there's a ton of stuff around it that's, that's just as fun to be a part of uh, outside of playing. It's not your regular Friday game up here at Sea Palms or anything around here, you know, but uh, tournament golf is great. Uh, I definitely miss it. It's hard to walk away from. I enjoy a, a few of them sprinkled in throughout, a, throughout the year. Every year I play with a buddy of mine. And, uh, you know, if we get the juices going, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, but it's hard to get them going at the age we're getting to and lack of practice and kids keeping us plenty busy. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it's hard to walk away from. But I think it's when you, when you accept it uh, and move on, it's, it's something that, you know, you embrace and enjoy as for the game for what it's worth. Even though the competitive nature of being on the tour and playing to stay on the tour, do you still enjoy the game of golf or is it now more, yeah, I can be competitive, but it's also it means more of who I'm playing with. No, I, I definitely enjoy it. Uh, my wife would tell you that when I come home after a round, there's an element of uh, de-stressing. Uh, golf is great, especially if you're fortunate to be able to walk around instead of riding in a cart the whole time or, you know, health wise, if you're able to walk a few holes, this or that, but yeah, it, uh, I, I definitely enjoy it. I love whatever you get out of it during a four hour, four and a half hour day with a few friends. Um, you know, you expectations are always high as you know, a player, but you know, if you're not practicing, it's kind of like you might get upset, but. Uh, it's quickly swept under the carpet because you can sit there and look at yourself and say, well, I really only practiced an hour in the last three weeks. So right. I shouldn't expect to hit it exactly what I wanted to per yardage. Right. So yeah, it, uh, you know, I, I go out now with my kids, I go out with some buddies, uh, play for a couple bucks, uh, have a good time afterwards and move on. Usually it's straight from the golf course to baseball practice. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, when you have it's kids, all, it's all uh, relative. Yeah, um, and back then when you were playing on the mini tours, there wasn't much money in there because I remember playing in a couple of proams, and I think we we won one of the proams with a guy by the name of Bo Van Pelt, uh, who's still on the tour, uh, trying to come back again. But um, he just said there wasn't a lot of money in it. I mean, you really had to win, and winning at that point was not what it is today. Uh, agreed. I mean, I, I played a lot with Bo uh, back then. Um, I, I would say that, uh, you know, we didn't know the amount of money uh, that you see nowadays. It was definitely not a part of the equation back then, but it's all relative to kind of, you know, back in the early 2000s. Tiger uh, definitely moved the needle for golf. Um, there's no doubt about that, uh, whether it be financially, physically, all of the missing pieces to, you know, work out and all that. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, that we've kind of, the game's evolved into this, you know, there's so many parts now to a player. Back then it was just being introduced. Um, I, I think that you're, if you're chasing the money, obviously you have to, you have to make, you got to pay your bills. But I think if you're not focused on the money and you're focused on the, the getting better every day piece of that puzzle, I think it's, it's easier to find success than chasing that dollar and trying to stress yourself out. Um, you know, obviously that's hard to do, 
some guys are fortunate that, you know, they, they don't have to worry about that. Other guys are, you know, scratching nickels together. Yeah. Uh, trying to load up in cars and, you know, three guys in a hotel room, this and that. So I don't know what the main tours are like now, but, you know, back then you were not doing it to get rich. You were doing it to get prepared for Q school at the end of the year, which gave you the best opportunity to get out there and get a card, either PJ tour or web.com, either one. Yeah. Obviously you'd want the tour card, but, uh, you know, you, you were able to, to hone your skills out of nationwide or web.com for the season to get to the tour at the end of the year via Q school or winning three times by battlefield or, you know, whatever that case was. But yeah, no, I don't, I don't think you're chasing it for the dollar. I think you're, you love the game and, and you want to compete and you want to see how good you can be and put yourself in those situations. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, even though you're not playing, you're playing for the competitiveness, you're playing to win the money just comes and today the money is a lot different than it was when when you were playing um yeah, no what are your feelings being on the tour fighting to stay on the tour fighting to get there um about live golf um i don't i don't know a whole lot about it uh you and i briefly discussed it a while ago uh i i think it's interesting to see the difference in the two platforms um i think there's obviously uh, a dangled carrot of financial gain for a lot of players that sometimes wouldn't do it um, until they're until the thresholds met by a certain number by the other side, uh, which is unfortunate, I think, because you know these guys they've got a great opportunity here to to make you know a, a really good living. Um, but when you're when you're enticed by the numbers that we're reading about, whether they're true or not, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but those numbers are pretty earth shattering. And, and I don't blame guys for moving over for those numbers. Um, and those are, those are generational numbers. Yeah. I don't know if it's right or wrong, Rich. I, you know, time will tell on that one um, that whether it hurts the game itself, whether it hurts the tour uh, whether live becomes another, you know, PGA tour style platform that, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. I think we're, we're in the very beginning phases of, and you can see by, you know, what you, what you read about, what you hear about the guys meeting, you know, every week, every other week in these closed door meetings to try to figure out the best path forward for, you know, the players on the tour and the players that are moving over and whether or not those two can, can be joined together and, and work together. I, I don't know. I don't know where that answer is. Do you think Kevin that it's hurt the golf fan? I mean, either you like live or you don't. Um, and some of the big names have been gone now from the PGA tour. Uh, do you think the fan has been hurt by this? Um, I think your, your fan who's a high golf IQ probably isn't real uh isn't gravitating towards this yet it, it's very odd to watch an event where you hear guys roaring on a par three and screaming and you know doing all that it's, it's much different than the way that we've traditionally played it uh, um is that fair to say that some of the new guys and, and ladies coming into the game um maybe that's what they want this younger generation you know they don't want the the old style of quiet, you know, quiet, please signs and all that. I, I don't know. Uh, it's definitely not my cup of tea. Um, I'm, you know, I'm 50. 
And I wasn't raised in that environment where you were screaming on par threes as loud as you could because, A, the player wants it, or, B, that's kind of the music going and the scene. And, you know, I I think that's another one, Rich. I think time will tell whether or not that fan – is that fan there to have a really good time or is that fan there to, to watch great golf or do they know what great golf is? Obviously, there's great players on that tour. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's, it's definitely different than what we've, than what we're accustomed to. Yeah. It's like the waste management for 18 holes in a much bigger setting for a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kevin, I appreciate you taking the time and I, I enjoyed meeting you at, at, at our church event. I just, uh, thank you for being honest and upfront about things and appreciate you being on the show. Yeah. Rich, enjoyed your time. Thank you very much. All right. You have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Kelly. You're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Stay tuned. Welcome back. We are on the phone with one of my favorite people and one of the best caddies in the business, Paul Tesori. Good morning, Paulie. How you doing? Rich, thanks for having me on, buddy. Doing well. Uh, I've got a little week off before uh, four in a row here on the Florida Swing, so enjoying some time home with the family. And uh, how's the back? <laughs> The back's still not very good. Uh, we're still uh, under the same hope is that I can make it through the season, hopefully get surgery done in September, and then maybe be back on the golf course and back to work in December. And uh, you think you'll be okay after that? I hope so, yeah. I think the hope right now is I can just continue to do my job through you know the end of the season. Hopefully that ends at East Lake. That's always the goal. Um, the surgeon feels really confident that, uh, you know, a couple of my herniations will kind of go back into bulges. And then the one that's ruptured, we can get in, get that fixed. And then hopefully be all ready to resume some playing golf and obviously get back to caddy and pain-free. Well, that would be nice. I would love to see you back out there pain-free for sure. All right. Let's it, talk buddy. about what's been going on. You were with uh, Webb for 12 years and, uh, then you went with Cam Young. What happened with Cam? <laughs> well, yeah, there's been, uh, you know, 12 and a half years with Weber. Um, one of my best friends in the world was really excited to go work for Cam. And to be honest with you, you know, we played fairly well. We made uh, 4.5 million in 15 events. Um, we're in the last group of the British. Had a chance to win Augusta, one back going into the last hole. Um, you know, made it to the finals and match play. We had some good things, but the number one job for a caddy to do is to adapt to your player's personality. And I just think it was harder for me to do than I thought. Mm. Um, you know, Cam treated me well. It's just, we are very different personality wise. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't been let go, uh, very often in my, in my life. This was the second time. And, um, to get the phone call, it always hurts. It hurts a little bit of the pride and ego, but, you know, he complimented the job that I did, but at the same time just felt like we didn't gel. And when you get off a phone call like that, you're bitter for about 24 hours. And then when I looked at it on paper, he's right. I just didn't do a good enough job adapting to the caddy that he needed and that he wanted. I think some of that comes from 12 and a half years with the same guy. Um, uh, just a little bit of that kind of residual coming over, uh, doing the same things, but you know, you live and you learn. Um, I learned from it. I look back, I see some of the mistakes that I made and, you know, you try to put that into action for the next job that you have. Yeah. And, uh, then you went from uh, cam to uh, Brendan pop. 
Yeah, Brendan was amazing. Um, me and Brendan have known each other a long time. Uh, you know, when I was let go, Brendan was also let go the same day. His caddy, David Clark, went to work for Ian Poulter on Live. And so Brendan called me and asked me to come work for him for a couple of weeks. The The first little contract, the first thing was just, let's do the two Hawaii events and go from there. And, you know, if an offer comes through that's hard to pass up, you know, he'd understand. And uh, we ended up working three events together. I don't think I've ever been treated that well. He treated me like a king. Really, a really good player. Obviously, Brendan is shorter than most anyone in the top 50 of that category, but the guy hits it on an arrow. He putts incredibly well, and he's a competitor through and through. So, um, you know, Brendan, uh, it was hard making that phone call once I got the opportunity to go work for Tom, but Brendan was a man about it. Uh, he uh, was really responsive uh, in a positive way and uh, just made that a lot easier. I was pretty emotional uh, moving on just because he had treated me so well. And what was the phone call with Tom like? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it yeah, it was it's kind of what you always want to hear as a caddy. I remember getting the same kind of phone call in 2010 from Webb. Webb was 213th in the world when he had called me um, and just said a lot of great things. Uh, said that he wanted my experience um, and that personality wise, he thought we'd be a good fit. And you know, Webb was looking for someone who had faith at very high uh, impact, very high uh, on their priority list. And the conversation with Tom was very, very similar. Um, just that he had been paired with us a few times, U.S. Open last year. He liked the job that I did. He knows my resume and experience. And he also wanted someone who had faith as being an important part of their life. And so, uh, you know, it was it's, it's flattering to hear, to be honest with you. It's always sure. nice when you hear that you're wanted and for the reasons why you think that you're talented at the job, those are the reasons why he wanted me. So, um, I still had to think about it. Still hard because, again, you know, me and B. Todd grew close very, very quick, and um, you know, I, I let him know uh, within 24 hours that you know the answer is going to be yes. It's a great opportunity with a young player. I want to work for one more guy, and then I want to call it a day. My goal's always been to make it till I'm 60, which is only eight years away, uh, <laughs> and and then uh, kind of go off into the sunset, so to say. But. You know, I, I really think Tom's the type of person, the type of talent that, you know, it could be my last job. You never know in this world, but that would be the hope. Well, you know, you and I had some conversations about you and Weber, how you had several phone calls and you you just knew and Weber knew that it was a connection that was going to last for a while. And you always yeah. have ups and downs. Do you feel the same way about Tom? Well, yeah, I do feel like the relationship will be strong. I think the friendship will continue to grow. It's a little bit more of a mentorship role. Um, you know, his his mom and dad are 52 and 53, and I'm 52. And so this is new for me. Um, you know, the guys I work for are a similar age. Uh, Webb was 24, I believe, when I went to work for him. Cam was 25, and now Tom, 21. But the problem is, Rich, I keep getting older. So <laughs> while the men that I'm working for are all similar age, I obviously am not. And so it's a, I think it'll be a little bit more of a mentorship role, but listen, Tom's an old soul. We see his joy out there. We see his passion. We see his kid-like quality, but he is very mature for his age. The way he thinks through business decisions, the way he thinks through his golf. Um, he told me that he wanted um, really high transparency, that if there were things he needed to get better at, he wanted me to share them. And I just did – uh, in an hour phone conversation, and there were some things that were not that easy to hear, and he took them like a champ. It's like, yeah, I love that. 
Mm. to a definite area. So his desires are high. He loves the game of golf. His only problem sometimes is he doesn't have really anything else besides his faith. And so, you know, he's just trying to find areas to make sure he's not always bringing work home with him. You know, and, and, and that becomes hard when somebody is trying to play golf. You're trying to help them at such a young age to, to improve, to battle all these other guys that may hit it farther, that may have more in their game than he does. But, uh, you know, you're a great caddy, even a better person. And you've got to be in an area with Tom uh, in the first event you went to. Um, how was, how was that with, yeah. with you two? It, it was good. Again, communication wise, uh, very high. Um, he didn't have his best week on the greens. He hit the ball fine. Uh, we finished, I think 45th out of 51 guys who made the cut in putting, but that's the good news on the 15th hole on Saturday, he was having a really bad day. Um, I was able to talk to him about his putting process and we changed how he putted, on, I'm sorry, on the 14th hole. So he changed how he putted on the last five holes and made three really good putts and then putted great on Sunday. So I think when you have that kind of a relationship with someone that you can bring things up to, even in the heat of competition, we were able to make a change. Uh, it was a little bit in his process of the way he was going about the putting. We changed from no line to a line and then changed for one look over the ball before he went in. And he putted great the last 23 holes. So I think... For me, when you look at that, I take the week as a positive. We finished top 25, okay. which for a week when you put that poorly, you consider that a success. You look at that and go, wow, we did some good things. Now, also, I made two mistakes. I think that we're just a little bit of lack of communication where he said something. I thought he kind of meant this, and then we got a little out of whack. Uh, one of them didn't cost us. The other one cost us a shot. So, Anytime in a new relationship, it doesn't matter what job, what profession, or even, you know, outside of work, even in regular relationships. At the very very beginning, it takes a little bit of time to learn each other. And so there was a little bit of that the first week, but we're, right. we have one week off this week, and then we're going to play all four in Florida. So I think that's going to give us a great time to get prepared for Augusta. Yeah, and um, that obviously is going to be exciting. I hopefully will see you there during one of the practice rounds like we did last year. Um, That's right. Uh, is Tom going to play more tournaments than you think the other two guys that you were with are going to play? No, I think it'll be very, very similar. Um, okay. You know, this is the first year of the condensed schedule. Um, this is back the way it used to be a long, long time ago. <laughs> back in my memories, I think 2010 might have been the last year of this schedule. But, you know, it's just January to August. That's it. Um, the tour championship ends, I think, on the second day of September. So it's basically just an eight-month season. And those are the eight months you have to finish top 50. Those are the eight months you have to get in the top 30 um, and to supplant your spot for those events the, the next year. So, so much of the schedule is going to look at how are you playing. The guys that have already gotten off to a hot start, the guys that have already won or had a, you know, a second-place finish, they can take it a little more easy. They can sit back a little bit and kind of let the year come to them where you know Tom hasn't gotten off to a fantastic uh, start. We moved up to 55th last week with some good points. But, you know, you uh, you, you got to get moving. You know, for some reason, if you were to win, you know, two of these next four or something like that, the schedule's going to look different the rest of the year. Right. Tom's really excited about the Olympics and uh, the President's Cup. And so those are very much high on his list as well, maintaining that world ranking to play in the Olympics. And then obviously making sure he's got his – President's Cup world ranking to be sure he's on that team as well. So 
Um, his goals are high, his aspirations are high, and his confidence is high. He thinks he can do anything. You know, it's we had a conversation at Riviera just because Riviera is a golf course that is very much bent towards one style player, being a long player. And we had that conversation. Like, we don't go into weeks like that thinking we can't win, but you just know that the percentage, the percentages are not tilted in your favor right, on certain right. style golf courses like that. But we have a big run of golf tournaments that are coming up that are going to be tilted in our favor. Um, you know, the uh, I call it the Hondas, the Cognizant now, that's a big one. Uh, TPC, that's a big one. Hilton Head, that's a big one. Um, and there's some other sprinkling, you know, others sprinkled in there that, you know, are kind of hit and miss. Bay Hill, if you drive it straight, can be an advantage there. Uh, the Masters, obviously, is not bent towards a shorter style player, but you can make up for it around Augusta with the way you think and the way you pitch the golf ball. So that'll be the hope is that, uh, we get there, the game is sharp, and we have a chance to win. So you are definitely in favor of this condensed schedule because there's a beginning and an end, and then you and Tom can take some much-needed time off. Every player that I've kind of known has always been in favor of this condensed schedule. It is just better. Um, obviously, you have your struggles with a condensed schedule. You know, Can you get enough playing time for everyone on tour? Um, and that is something that people get paid a lot more money than me to go figure out because I do want and think that we need to have a tour that looks like we've got, you know, 200 members that are fighting their cans off to get in that top 25, then to get right. in that top 70, then to get in that top 50, and then to get ultimately in the top 30. Um, it's just, you know, when you're looking at a season, it should be eight months long. It should not be 12. It was so many times we would go tee it up in Sony and we already be 150th on the FedEx list playing our first event of the year. And, uh, you know, Jim Furyk did that for a long time as well. So the way they have it set up right now is good. I don't think anything is perfect. Uh, and we'll really see how this season goes about, you know, the top 50 receiving more points. I know is something that is held pretty high in contention among a lot of the players. But when you're in the top 50, it's glorious. So I don't know if the points will always be this extravagantly different versus the guys that aren't in the top 50, but we'll see. You know, only time will tell. Paul, you are just awesome to have on the show. I love every time you're on. I hope your back gets better. I hope you get to last as long as you would like. hope your wife gets better, and I hope everything in the family is good. Rich, you're always easy to talk to, buddy. I'm a golf geek, and so are you. And so anytime you want me or need me, I'll be on. All right. God bless. Thank you, my friend. This is John Smoltz, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. We are on the phone with Jerry Foltz, former uh, amateur uh, golfer, uh, University of Arizona, formerly with the Golf Channel, now with the Live Tour. Jerry, thank you for taking time to be with us. My pleasure, Rich. I always look forward to uh, chatting with golf people in the in the industry and especially throughout the South where I live. Well, I love it, too. You're in Orlando. I'm at uh, St. Simon's Sea Island. Um, great place for golf. Orlando's got a lot of great courses. But first, let's talk about what did you first think when you heard about the Live Tour when you were at the Golf Channel? Uh, first of all, you live in St. Simons and I live in Orlando, so you win. You're one up already. We're, we're not even to the turn yet. <laughs> um, when I first heard of it, you know, when I look back on it now, it's a different opinion of what I what I thought of it when I first heard of it because the the opinion of it was so one sided and was uh, even till we launched in 2022 in June and, and thereafter until until it came to light why there was such a uh, 
an anti-live orchestrated campaign, but that's neither here nor there now. Um, when I first heard of it, I thought uh, we had heard of something similar to this for the longest time, uh, a version of this, right. um, even go- going back all the way to Greg Norman's world tour. But the team aspect was the part I just couldn't grasp at all. It, I was just it was lost on me. Uh, and it was still kind of lost on me till I sat down in a, I guess it was sort of a job interview, or actually it was more job training. I'd already been hired. And and they explained it to me. And it opened my eyes a little bit. But what really opened my eyes is when I got to London that first week, 2022, and, and we had a pairings party, believe it or not, a draft because we had no set teams. And I was talking to Westwood and Poulter specifically, and, uh, and, and they were 100% all in. They come from a different culture of team sports and of you know, they're both F1 fans. They're both soccer fans, as I call it. And, and a business model uh, of live golf was pretty similar to that. And they were all in. And it didn't take me long to really catch on to to see how it changes uh, the game completely from a fan standpoint, from a broadcast standpoint, an attendance standpoint, but also from a, a way they play the game standpoint, because you just can't mail it in on Sunday when you got three other guys dependent on you. Or you might be out of a job next year. Right. That's a whole different format. Now that you're in it, you're obviously buying into it. You'd like it. What is the feeling on the live tour overall about the PGA tour and the, and the battle that has been going on for two years? You know, those of us who started are the OGs as the young people call us. Um, we, you know, you got pretty numb to it early because it was such a, you know, as Graham McDowell said, a smear campaign. And, and for obvious reasons, Monopoly doesn't like to give up market share uh, without a fight. But um, there is not a single person unhappy with the decision they made. Not a single one. Uh, Patrick Reed's wife says it best, Justine, um, says, I never knew he had so many teeth. He's been smiling the entire time. Now, it is world class. <laughs> it, it is world class competitive golf against many of the greatest players in the game. Uh, regardless of what the OWGR uh, wants to think. Um, it, they they fight it out for a lot of money and for a lot of importance to them. History will be the, the, you know, the decision maker on what this actually means in the grand scheme of things, measured against PGA Tour play. Uh, certainly the majors are really the only thing that seems to matter anymore. But um, it's, uh, they, they love it. They, they 100% love it. And they've been very optimistic about it since day one. And, and the really cool part is during all of the, you know, all of the backlash and all of the talk and all of the one-sided uh, narrative that seems to make it into the, uh, to the consumer from a golf standpoint, right. we've always, we, all of us have always been encouraged, just take the high road, welcome the fans in, take the high road, let people see what it's about, let them make up their own mind. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of minds were made up before we started, and we're starting to see a lot of those eyeballs open, um, actually a little quicker than I thought. Well, you know, one of the things that I've noticed as you bring in somebody like John Rahm or Bubba or Phil, uh, somebody's got to drop off. And I guess their only choice at this point is to go from the live tour to the Asian tour, or are there other options for them as they drop out? Um, the guys overseas, Australia and South Africa were able to play in DP world tour events in the off in our off season in their summertime, because they're members of those tours, be it the Australasian tour or the South African sunshine tour. So those are co-sanctioned events. Matter of fact, not to brag a little bit about our guys, but between Waco Neem and Dean Burmester and Louis Ustase, and we won five consecutive DP world tour events, five consecutive European tour events. 
our guys did, which is pretty impressive. Um, those were the only guys who were really that could play. I know there were a couple of spots where uh, guys played uh, in McManus's tournament in uh, in Europe, but that's about it. Right now, it's the Asian Tour or the International Series, which uh, it, it falls under the Asian Tour umbrella. But um, yeah, we have it's it's meant to be a league where just like uh, soccer clubs get relegated and get promoted. And we had our first promotions event in Abu Dhabi a couple months ago, where three guys played their way into the league, uh, which is a life-changing thing, um, all things considered, because of the amount of money they make and what it can do for their career. Right. Uh, so it, it's meant to be a true league, much like we don't understand as American fans, but the rest of the world understands relegation and promotion and, and such things, mostly in football and soccer. How do you feel or what were your feelings when you heard that John Rahm was coming to live? You know, usually up until up until this past year, obviously we didn't sign anybody during the season, but usually we had a pretty good idea of the rumors. This one was really, really, I mean, other than social media, nothing internally was said to us at all by anybody. So, you know, I hoped it was going to happen. I knew it would be a big get for Live Golf and that it would bring more fans and more eyeballs to our product. But uh, I, 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 I just didn't want to think it was true because the, all the other rumors I had heard that didn't include John Rahm and none of them, very few of them came to fruition. All right. I've heard now, again, you can correct me, but I've heard that when some of the guys signed up for live in the beginning, they were told that they were going to get world ranking points. Uh, that is not the case. Um, I think it's come out that uh, due to the rules of the world rankings that because you play 54 holes uh, that you don't qualify for that. Has that upset the group in, in total, or do you think there's going to be a change in that, Terry? You know, I wasn't part of those negotiations between Greg and the upper echelon at live and the players. Initially, I haven't had a single player tell me they were promised they were going to get world ranking points. And I, okay. I think I'm, I'm close enough to them where they would confide in me that, um, not a single one that I've talked to and and talked to specifically about that. Uh, the World Golf Rankings is made up, as you know, Peter Dawson's the chairman, and then it's got six representatives, uh, the four majors, the PGA Tour, and, and, uh, and the commissioner of the Asian Tour, one vote. Um, obviously, there's a bit of a conflict of interest on behalf of almost all those parties about the world rankings. And right now, it's a dead issue to me and I think to many of the guys, because even if they automatically granted live golf points, it would our guys have fallen so far down the list that it really wouldn't matter. And especially if they did it in a diminished capacity, I think that each of the four majors is now at a point where they're going to seriously consider looking at an alternate ranking system or a way to ensure that which they're their organizations and their history have always uh, mandated, and that is to try and stage the highest quality championships possible by fielding the highest quality field possible. And right now we're on the verge of, you know, we're this year, next year at the most, depending on if we sign more players, we're at the verge of asterisk majors that the history books will view as, as those off years when, when the world was fragmented in golf and they didn't really have the best field they could have. I think they'll be diminished in some capacity. Uh, but I do think that the majors will, uh, will quit, uh, 
quit playing along with the power struggle in the game from the powers that be, be it PGA Tour versus Live Golf. Uh, they, they say right within their regulations, you can meet all the regulations. It doesn't guarantee anything. You can meet none of them and you could still get points. So they have the 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 World Golf Rankings uh, Committee has the right to grant all they want. But there is a serious interest in not doing that right now because that's really the only leverage the PGA Tour has from other guys making the call and saying, hey, what, how, about, how about I come join? Right, right. What are your thoughts about the recent announcement of the PGA Tour and this um, deal with the SSG group with worth about $3 billion? And uh, still there is no agreement between the PIF and the PGA Tour, although some say that it is coming. You know, uh, once again, those are those are the kinds of things, much like the John Rom signing, that are kept completely away from people at my pay grade. Uh, I, I am happy that the PGA Tour has found a way to sustain and, and hopefully grow, because I, I don't think that was a realistic expectation, given the way they had to try and uh, do everything they could financially to compete with, with our business model. For the players, I'm glad that there's a free market for the players now. Uh, to some extent, it's a it's a microcosm of what it could and should be someday. But there is a little bit of a a free market, um, which really helps the players. Uh, you're considered an independent contractor, but you have to play by their rules uh, when and where they want you to play on the PJ Tour, and that doesn't seem to me to be uh, that of an independent contractor. Obviously, with Live Golf, they are con- a lot of them are contracted players. They have to play all 14 events unless they're hurt um, in order to keep their league status. So that's uh, that, it's a different world there, but it's just like any other team sport in that regard. Right. Uh, um, so I don't, I don't know what the future holds in terms of all this. Uh, I have an inkling, but it's only my opinion, and it wouldn't be wise for me to share it. But I, I think within the next, I don't know, four or five, eight months in that ballpark, I think everything will clear up quite a bit, and we'll see what the path forward is going to look like. And and I think from what I envision happening, I'm going to like it a lot, and I think uh, I think the PGA Tour is is not going to be in a bad place either. So do you think there's a merge in the future? I mean, is that what I'm hearing that you think might happen in the near future, some in this five to eight month period? I think there will be a clear path to coexistence, whether it be all operated under one umbrella or not. I think there'll be a clear path to coexistence. But once again, that is my instinct. I have no knowledge of anything that leads me to believe that. I just know, uh, you know, I've been in the game for a long time and I know a lot of the players involved. Uh, but that's that's exactly where I and I think it needs to get there. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, for all parties, that would be it would be a win win situation. But I think there will be a clear path to coexistence, whether it's operated under one umbrella or not. Yeah, there sure has been a lot of social media um, uh, on both sides uh, kind of battling with each other, uh, not necessarily for the good. Um, I think it's hurt, my opinion, the golf fan more than it's hurt live tour or the pga tour well yes I, I, yes and no i don't i don't blank uh, i don't agree with that as a blanket statement because only because obviously i'm a fan of live now i i have bought in i believe in it All i right. stake my reputation on it and my career on it so i've got a lot invested in it um i've also taken a lot of arrows from from the people who are anti-live and i and i understand it i totally respect their right to say that but 
when you go, if you are to go to a live event and all those who have doubted live and shown up at a live event, I haven't seen a single person leave there frowning. Not a single one. I've heard from so many uh, and talked to so many on site that they just, it, it's, it's eye-opening that going to a golf tournament can actually be more fun than it used to be. It's an enjoyable experience. You're there, I mean, five, six, seven hours max. The play starts and stops at the same time for everybody in the field. You can follow a group. You can stay in one place. You see everybody in five, in less than five hours every single time. And then if you're uh, of the, you know, the lifestyle that wants to stick around and enjoy it afterwards, there's always pretty cool concerts and social happenings afterwards. So it, it brings a little bit of the top golf feel to tournament golf. Uh, I wouldn't say so much uh, waste management Phoenix Open by any means, but it brings a little more of a of a enjoyable atmosphere, and uh, and it's not just for young adults. It, it, there are adults my age and older, and there are so many kids out there every single week smiling ear to ear and asking dad to buy them a a Rippers hat or now a Legion thirteen hoodie or something. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Um, I've read again. This is the media. Phil and Bubba would not be playing at the end of this year, and they would still, though, be with Liv as captains. I have uh, I have heard those rumors. I haven't heard that right. from Bubba. No, actually, I have talked to Bubba, and he and he is interested in in when his playing days are done. And he certainly didn't put the end of this year as a limit on it. Uh, right. But he said when his playing days are done, he's definitely going to stay involved with his team. And, and I know Phil feels the exact same way. Those organizations, I call them organizations, franchises. That's not really what they are. They're teams, they're clubs from a, from a truest sense of the sporting universe. But those, they have so much upside moving forward. Uh, I can envision a day where each team has five or six or more players and they start four each week and the others can go play wherever they want. Uh, I can, I can envision a day when we have, I think we can have up to, 16 teams perhaps and still fit them on the golf course at one time when you think of you know major championships half the wave is 78 players you can fit 78 players on a course i don't think we ever want to get that big but um but i also can see because there's starting to be a regional emphasis on the formation and the uh, and the membership of these teams an all australian team two all latin american teams we okay. have the all, the all english team except for stenson so we call it the all european team um, we have a lot of and the all South African team. So I can foresee a day where each of these of these teams, these clubs have their own headquarters, have their own facilities, have their own teaching centers, have their own entertainment centers and mm. have their own, you know, make it kind of destination area, destination uh, things for the golf crowd. One last question. Any regrets on your part? <laughs> no, the only regret I have is that I, uh, I I didn't, you know, no, it's not a regret. I, I just wish I could educate more people about it who only hear one side of it. It's not a regret. I just, I just wish I could have one-on-ones with them. And, 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 you know, if they say you're full of BS, I get it. I understand. I know where you're coming from, but if you give it a shot, if you, if you turn it on and it's not your style of television, you don't like watching the way we do it, which is much faster paced, much more golf, uh, very few commercials, only when we're on the CW and we stream no commercials, um, give it a shot. If you don't like it, then that's fine. But it, the bias, at least in North America and a lot in Europe, 
against us has been so strong before we ever hit a shot because we were the disruptor. We were the threat to the establishment and the monopoly that's in place, the ever-growing monopoly and the power of the PGA Tour. And, and that's a little bit behind us now because that's no longer the case because we're not going away, um, yeah. no matter what you may read. And uh, I, I just wish I, I had chosen earlier to do such interviews like yours, Rich, and, and many others that I've done over the last six months to uh, let people see it's not all bad. It is yeah. not all bad. It's actually pretty cool if you just give it a shot. If you love golf, I mean, look at the players we have and the personalities, DeChambeau, Kepka, Mickelson, DJ, John Rahm, Cam Smith, on down the list. Uh, it's hard to ignore. Those guys might be playing golf in your backyard and you don't want to go because something you may have read by reported by people who uh, are, have a vested interest in, in uh, the competitor of Lip. Yeah, I got you. Jerry, thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. You've been listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show with Rich Styles. Go to backnineboys.com for all things golf whenever you want it. We'll be back next week with an all new Back Nine Boys at backnineboys.com. 